You are listening to Aaron Bethune on the Above the Noise Music Industry Podcast. Welcome back to Above the Noise Music Industry Podcast. I'm Aaron Bethune, and today it is my pleasure to be speaking with Lisa Brigantino. I've known Lisa for some time now, and uh, I've mentioned on and off about doing an interview, and finally we got around to doing it. Uh, Lisa has all kinds of, uh, I guess, expertise, you could say, in the music industry from both the performer. She was actually a member of the world's very first all-female Led Zeppelin cover band, Led Zeppelin. And uh, she was uh, basically John Paul Jones in the band. And uh, they toured the world. They, they actually headlined Bonnaroo and went to Japan and and they had all kinds of reviews, from Rolling Stone magazine to Time Out New York and Chicago, Entertainment Weekly, The London Times, The Boston Globe, The New Yorker, VH1, MTV News, CNN News, CBS Sunday Morning, and countless others, and all for the right reasons, because these girls rocked. However, the way I met Lisa was through music supervision and music clearance, rights clearances, and just I guess working with clients and working with our catalog here and essentially placing music into TV commercials and all kinds of things. So Lisa has a ton of experience both in talent acquisition and rights clearance in which she's worked on projects for companies and brands including BMW, Delta Airlines, MetLife, AT&T, The Wish Factory, Chevrolet, 7up, Gatorade, Intel, IBM, Coca-Cola, Kraft. I mean, actually, I could go on for a long time saying all of these different companies and brands of which many of you heard of, have heard of, Ford, Hershey. Anyways, I won't keep going, but you get the idea. Lisa's got a lot of experience working with some really major, major clients. She's also um, a composer, so she's she's also created scores. Um, and, you know, she's got a master of music in composition and music theory. So she's qualified. <laughs> she's actually award-winning. She's actually won, won a silver first place Telly Award. So there. So from rocking out with Les Zeppelin through to music supervision, I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask Lisa. So without further ado, on to today's interview. Well, my first question is how you got started in the music industry. Well, I, I guess that depends on what side of the industry that would be. I mean, uh, I'm... I've been in both sides of the industry, both as a creative and as a business person, uh, for many years. Um, I uh, have been a musician all my life. I have a master's of comp- in composition and theory from State University of New York uh, College at Fredonia, at the School of Music at Fredonia State College. And after I did my master's, I came down to New York City to live and work and uh, ended up... Um, you know, taking, uh, instead of waiting tables and doing that kind of thing during the day and then playing at night, I decided that I wanted to actually work in the music business uh, as a day job um, and then do my musical exploits uh, in the evening. So I took a job as um, an administrative assistant at a music licensing rights clearance company called BZ Rights and Permissions. And I really learned the business from the ground up. Um, The cool thing about working there, it was a very small company, but not only did we do music licensing for a variety of clients like corporate users and ad agencies and filmmakers, 
Um, but we also did all types of rights clearance. Like if you wanted to use a photo of Humphrey Bogart on a coffee mug, you could come to us. If you needed to clear a piece of artwork or a comic strip or uh, a photograph or a film clip. You know, so I got this very broad background and education in rights clearance and music licensing. Uh, so that's kind of how I got started and then over the years moved up to uh, director of licensing and then went on to um, uh, form um, my own company. Uh, I was a partner in a Creative License, which was a music licensing or is a music licensing and music supervision company. And I was there for a number of years. And while I was there, um, kind of began getting involved um, as a musician in a band called Les Zeppelin, which was the world's first all-girl Zeppelin tribute band. Mm -hmm. So here I was, a vice president at Creative License, you know, working 10 hours a day, managing an office of about 15 people, and then, you know, once a week going to rehearsals, starting to learn the repertoire. I was John Paul Jones, so essentially <laughs> bass, keyboards, and mandolin, you know. <laughs> um, and we became we began playing more and more. Uh, and in 2005, I had to quit my day job to basically run away with the circus and play rock and roll. So it was it it was um, uh, an interesting time to leave the company, and um, it was great to kind of just move into this whole other area. Now I had been a song I've always been a songwriter and a composer, doing my own thing. But um, this was an opportunity to be a part of something uh, quite different. And um, so what ended up happening is, you know, I went on the road with the band. We toured internationally. Uh, we played Europe. We did Japan. We did an album with Eddie Kramer. We headlined Bonnaroo in 2008. So it was really quite an amazing ride. And during this time, I still had some licensing clients that I took with me. Um, so I was doing music, and I was also um, doing music licensing and music supervision, and um, began doing more and more of that on my own with some clients who came with me from very, very early on from when I started doing this kind of work. And then by word of mouth, I began getting new clients to the point where, um, now I, I will also say that I left Les Zeppelin in uh, early 2009, uh, as did the singer and drummer, um, we all kind of left at the same time. Uh, we just felt it was time to go. And the guitarist continued on with other players. Um, but I then began to kind of pick up on the licensing and supervision. And, and also, for the first time, offering original music uh, composition and scoring sound design services to my clients. So some of the folks who used to use me strictly for licensing, like, you know, can you get me? I heard it through the grapevine for a national TV commercial. We're now saying can you write us something for a national TV commercial? So that was very exciting. And um, you know, we tend to be doing more and more of that. Um, I partner very often with my husband, Tom Milioto, um, who is um, an amazing musician and an engineer. We have a project studio where we do a lot of that work. Uh, and I'm very lucky in the fact that I play about 14 or 15 instruments. So we wow. don't have to bring other people in. So um, we're able to do a lot of it ourselves and in-house. So that's kind of, you know, where, where I'm at at this point. I am um, doing more licensing and supervision and original music. And because that, you know, it's, it's me doing that, it's my company, I have the flexibility to um, 
manage my schedule the way I want. So if I want to go off and do a little singer-songwriter tour for a week, I can do that because I can take my work with me and I can work around having to be in the studio. So it's like after, you know, so many years of being in the business, I've really figured out a way to make all of these aspects of what I, I like to do come together and work with my schedule. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Wow. Well, that's, it's funny because I had no idea that you had done the the business side before the Les Zeppelin. And yeah. this is this is probably the first time I have spoken to somebody who the the business came first as far as um, well, just 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 the the order of things. And and so I, I'm curious though. I mean, the the way you sort of said it is is you know you decided to make your day job the music industry. And then Les Zeppelin happened later on. Mm. I mean, during that period of, of the day job, um, I mean, were you pursuing music um, on an ongoing basis? And, and, and part of that is to find out how that led to Les Zeppelin, because, of course, there must be some sort of on the musical front some yes. transition. Yes, there, there definitely is um, uh, a move from one thing to the other. Although, you know, the entire time that I've worked <clears throat> in the business side of things, I was always you know, playing out here in New York City, uh, playing um, in the tri-state area, uh, writing, um, you know, doing songwriting. Um, I became involved in, in a bunch of the music organizations that are here in New York City. One in particular called Women in Music, which is a nonprofit organization. And I think I joined that in the early 90s. Um, I was only six years old at the time, but um, no, kidding. Um, and I was a member for a number of years, and then in the late 90s, I was approached by the board, um, and they asked me if I wanted to uh, join um, the, the board the board of Women in Music, which I did in, I think it was 1998. Um, so I became a board member, I became more active in the organization, um, and uh, we were responsible for putting on a number of activities here in the New York area, uh, one in particular called the Touchstone Awards, which uh, for a number of years was one of the highlights of the, what, the, the music industry here in New York. Uh, it was a, a big luncheon held at the Marriott Marquis where we honored each year five women in the music industry. Um, and it was, you know, it was everyone from... Um, women who were in the business side of things to performers. I mean, we gave awards to Darlene Love, you know, we gave awards to uh, just everyone. Um, so I became very involved in that. And we used to have these, these jams uh, yearly where there would be a house band and um, members would come in and, you know, we would get up and, and do these jams in New York City. And I volunteered to be the bass player for the house band. Now, I had not been playing a lot, and it was a lot of fun for me to kind of get back into actually playing with a band as opposed to always doing my own stuff where you're a singer-songwriter, you're on stage by yourself, or, you know, sometimes I would perform with my sister Lori uh, or my husband Tom, but it's it's not like being on stage with a five- or six-piece band, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I became involved with those jams, and one of the... Um, uh, uh, other board members who is uh, uh, a really great singer-songwriter and friend of mine, Liz Queller, back in 2005 said, hey, you know, I have this friend who's 
thinking about starting an all-girl Led Zeppelin tribute band, and they're looking for a bass player. Would you be interested? And, you know, honestly, at that time, it was like the last thing I needed to do was to pull, put something else on my plate. But it sounded like fun. It sounded like I can just go and play. I don't have to be organizing anything or I don't have to run anything. And that's how it started. January 2003, I went to the first rehearsal. And when, you know, the founder of, of the band found out I also played mandolin and keyboards, she's like, that's it. You're John Paul Jones. So... <laughs> So that's how it started. And it was very, you know, we did very local gigs in New York. We played CBGBs. We did the Continental. Um, and, and that's how it started. And then we started touring regionally. And then next thing you know, you know, we're on a plane to Europe. So I'm curious because I, I mean, I, I, I totally understand the aspect of, of tribute bands and, and how that can open certain doors to certain venues. However, I'm, I'm sort of picking up that. Um, the business side of you, the organized, the organized person that you are, the, mm. the, the ability to, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking to build it, to, to accomplish tasks and, and reach mm. goals and that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's, it's not the average musician that have these same qualities. I mean, one of the things that I keep, I wouldn't say battling with, but one of the things that I, I certainly spend time thinking about is, is that there's this 99% of musicians, which are those that do not fit into that category. And then there's a 1%, which are those that end up, you know, especially in today's new music industry, where there's, you know, a lot of, I guess you could say, um, ability to build your own career. Right. There's just 1% that fit into that category and, and are able to make all the moving pieces work together. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm I'm just curious, when, when you get into this band and you've obviously got this 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 background and this, this way of being... Um, how, how do you go about uh, applying it? Or better said, um, how, does, how does your approach and perhaps the other women in the band, I mean, on that front of things, I guess what I'm getting at is the non-musical aspect of it. How, what were the things that you guys did right that resulted in, in furthering that band? Because there's a lot of tribute bands, of course, that also don't go anywhere, and that's not your case at all. Right. Um well, you know, that that's a very good question. And, you know, uh, honestly, initially, when we started um, to get rolling with the band um, in 2003, between 2003 and 2005, we had a different singer and a different drummer. And um, we they left the band in 2005, and we brought in um, two people that had much more experience in terms of playing professionally, being on stage, touring, you know, these were women who kind of came in and were ready to hit the ground running. And, um, and I think that, you know, for me, I think one of the things I was able to bring to, to, to the group is the, the, you know, not only the playing ability and the musical ability, but the, but the organizational ability and, you know, to be somebody who was responsible and showed up on time and, you know, did a lot of extra stuff. Um, although I said initially, you know, I was happy to be a part of something where I wasn't really running anything. Of course, I took on more responsibility because that's just who I am. I'm like, if I see something that needs to be done, I'll do it. You know, I even ended up being one of the drivers. <laughs> I, our guitar tech and me, you know, so I'd be driving six hours, five hours to do a show, do the show, go to the hotel, go to sleep, get up the next morning, do it again. You know, it's, it, as, as you may know, you know, touring isn't, isn't the glamorous thing everyone thinks it is. It's really, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done was being on the road here in the U in the U S when we toured, um, internationally, of course we had 
drivers and we had people who kind of took us around. So that was a joy for me because I didn't really have to think about anything like, oh, we're stop. What are the directions and any, you know? So I think that, um, you know, um, it, it, it can be appreciated and at times, um, People can also be a little resentful uh, of of the fact that you're responsible. Sometimes it's it's kind of a weird combination, but I think that um, I think one of the reasons, and I'm not not tooting my own horn, but I think one of the reasons that we were able to be successful and you know take off early on is is uh, you know there were there were elements that we each brought to the party that helped propel the the act forward the other thing is is that we especially the the group as it stood from 2005 to 2008 you know we were just we were really well rehearsed we loved what we were doing and it wasn't to us it was it was about it wasn't about trying to be a tribute band, really. I say that because that's the closest thing I can say for people to kind of understand what we were doing. But, you know, we're, we weren't guys, so we didn't try and look like them. And it was really about just taking the music and playing it. And, um, mm-hmm. and we did it really well, and we rocked very hard. And, you know, there were many shows where... Uh, we would walk out on stage, and there would be this row of guys in front of us with their arms crossed, like, and their, you know, their feet apart, and kind of looking at us as if to say, "All right, go ahead. I want to see if you can do this," <laughs> you know. And then, you know, after sixty seconds into immigrant song, their mouths would be open. So, um, it, it became it, we became loved. We had a great following of people who just loved our band. And the fact that we played Zeppelin, not because we were trying to be them or trying to emulate them or anything. It was just that we gave people the opportunity to hear this wonderful music live mm-hmm. and really played well. And, and, and I think that's what um, uh, made us successful. Sounds like kind of a combination of talent and authenticity combined with good business skills. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, just on the same topic. I mean, how do you, what are the events that lead to recording with Eddie Kramer and headlining Bonnaroo? I mean, those are two pretty substantial accomplishments. I mean, what, what were some of the key factors that led to those? Well, um, you know, I think we, we just, we were, we were having this amazing track record behind us of, you know, where we were playing, um, the, the kind of venues we were at, the kind of audiences we were having, um, uh, you know, uh, we had uh, good demos, we had good videos in place, and um, it was a matter of the guitarist who, you know, this was kind of her baby to begin with, and she was a, a very um, forward about getting us to the right people, and, and like somebody like Eddie Kramer. Why not approach him? Let's ask him, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said yes. So, uh, you know, it was really amazing that he wanted to work with us. Um, Bonnaroo, we were the first all-girl tribute band, the first all-girl band to play Bonnaroo. We were the first tribute band to play Bonnaroo. Same thing with Download. We also played Download Festival in the UK. First tribute band to play Download, first all-girl band to play Download. Um... So it was it was really this amazing kind of crazy thing that happened for a few years there and 
you know, I, I'm very happy that I was a part of it when when it was really in its heyday. I was very fortunate to be a member, and um, you know, I had a great time. But it, you know, as I said, at some point it was it was just time to go and get back to doing my own stuff. And mm-hmm. I released an album in 2010, which is still getting great reviews and lots of airplay. And you know, I write in a in a a variety of genres. So I've been able to get airplay on rock stations, pop stage stations, country, folk, you know, um, and I'm, um, been active in trying to get placements for my own music, uh, in film and television. And we're working on my next album right now, which I hope will be out in 2014. And uh, so I, I do, you know, I do a lot of different things. I also have a musical comedy act that I do with my sister, which is very <laughs> different than the singer-songwriter thing. And it's this kind of crazy, wacky act called the, the Vicky and Nikki Show. Yeah. And we play suburban housewives from Minnesota who are on the road, you know, and um, doing gigs at, at uh, prisons and, and nursing homes and it's a self-contained act so and my sister's very musical and she plays a lot of instruments as well so between the two of us I think that there are about eight or nine instruments we play during the show and you know we do original music that we write for the act we also do very inappropriate covers like we do um, a bluegrass version of Lady Gaga's paparazzi with uh, <laughs> with a banjo and, and guitar, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, we've done, we've written 10 scripted shows so far for the act. And, uh, wow. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that you get your music played in, in a wide variety of formats. I mean, I think if you play 15 instruments, it must be hard not to, to play different <laughs> yeah. sounds. Right. I can't imagine playing 15 instruments and, and always playing just say rock or something. Yeah. But, um, to go back for one second, so the mm. Download Festival in Bonnaroo, you yeah. mentioned with Eddie Kramer, you, you thought, why not? And you reached out, and mm. and he said yes. Mm. Um, just as just to get an idea, at the time of Bonnaroo and Download Festival, was this the same sort of scenario you're reaching out, or at this point, did you also have a booking agent, or, or, or what was? Oh the... yeah, I mean, it wasn't just us. We we had a um, uh, we had a manager, we had a booking agent, uh, we had a, an international booking agent. So we definitely had you know, a, a team that, that was there to, um, help us out with those things. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point I wasn't so much involved in, in the day to day back and forth with those people. It was really the guitarist who was, um, kind of the liaison and, and really running the show, so to speak. I'm curious because, uh, you know, I, I have a musical background myself mm. and, you know, I, I know what it's like to be working towards a goal in which the goal is to make it. You know, to to, to find the big break, and 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 I've also had the experience of where there isn't a goal. You know, it's about playing music. It's about having fun, and and it seems that from you know my experiences, it's that combination of it's always about the fun, but making smart moves. Mm. Um, but I also know that you know from playing in a project that was really focused on on making it mm. um, coming back to music where that wasn't what it was about actually resulted in you could say more success but at the same time 
more joy, I guess, is, is a word I could use. But yeah. I'm, I'm curious, when you're in, in Les Zeppelin and now when you're doing the act with your sister as well as your own mm-hmm. solo stuff, is, is there a different approach? I mean, were you were you dr- driven with Les Zeppelin to, to reach any specific goal or is it just about fun? And then on the other hand, with your sister and your solo act, I mean, is what's the approach with that, with those? Well, you know, I think with the band, you, we really didn't know what was going to happen with, with it. When we started out, I remember... Uh, you know, because I was even concerned about the time commitment. Because at the time I started, I, as I said, I was working full time, yeah, not no full time. I mean, I was working crazy hours, and it was a very difficult um, <clears throat> work environment, and it was very stressful. And you know, you know, basically, it was like, yeah, you know, well, maybe we'll play one or two gigs a month locally. Da da da. You know, we had no idea we were going to be ending up in two years going to Europe and really playing, I think at one point we were playing 100 to 150 dates a year. Wow. You know, it was a lot. Uh, it was a lot of, of uh, touring. And so I think we, we really didn't know what what was going to happen. And we were always pleasantly surprised by the wonderful things that did happen. You know, at the same token, there was, there was some plan. But um, yeah, that was also, you know, I think... Um, at some point, there was a an idea of what should be happening that we weren't all cons- being consulted about, and and that did cause some uh, issues. Um, now with my own stuff, you know, because I'm at the point in my life where, you know, I really love doing work here, where you know we're writing for a client, and then you know we've got something that's a, a national TV and radio spot, and it's, it's something we did in our studio, and I don't have to be out two weeks on the road, you know, in Arkansas. Um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I loved every minute of being in that situation, but I did it. I don't have to keep doing it now. I can kind of I can do shows on my own. Um, schedule and when I want to do them. So, you know, I don't play out as often. And, you know, I, I, there are probably a hundred more things I could be doing to promote myself, but, you know, I, I just don't want to be that crazy about it at this point in my life. I, you know, I have a lot of things that I do and, um, I, I, you know, do the PR I can. Uh, when I have a CD that's released, I, you know, I, I really, I market it as much as I can at the time, and I, I, I do play around it and and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think that you really also have to kind of take the time to enjoy your life, and it can't just be about you know, what are you doing twenty four hours a day to try and get to that next point. I think part of getting to that next point is also having some space in your head and going for a run or going for a walk or, you know, just, I think so much of what's happening lately, especially with social media, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, Mm, I know I have to do it, but I really, it really bothers me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, there are so many people competing for that, that airspace too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost at some, sometimes I'm like, why am I even bothering? You know, but then I do do something and then I see the positive aspects of of what I do, you know, with regards to marketing and social media. But I, it doesn't really make me happy to do it. <laughs> oh, I totally understand. No, and I have a four-year-old and, and my hopes and dreams are not that he's on Facebook and Twitter for his um, friendships. <laughs> he's no. out there, you know, living the real life. Um, 
Yeah. It's interesting. I actually read something recently about, uh, you know, that there's this value put on being busy. And the fact of the matter is, is that I think sometimes we do get carried away with, with being busy and all these things that we need to do. And, and you're, I mean, social media has, abs- I mean, not just social media, but technology in general has, I mean, uh, even watching a movie as an example. Now people watch movies with iPhones and computers and all this other stuff going on. I mean, it's, it's this almost this ADD aspect. I mean, there's this, the attention span is shortening because so are the I guess characters in a tweet are very short and uh and I think that sometimes I mean if if, even if I was to address this from say a playing perspective I mean people that say you know are spending every waking hour of the day practicing or learning theory or whatever it might be sometimes it's those spaces in which you just say you know what you know it's time to put this down for a moment and spend a little time away actually creates a clarity in what you want to do as well as as when you come back with it with well with this focus that you've kind of gained from being away from it and I, th- and I think that that there is a bit of personally I think there's a little too much emphasis on on being busy and, and sometimes we don't slow down and sort of realize what we have or, or or what there is to be grateful for right now without worrying about what's in the future or what's happened in the past. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you in that regard. And, you know, and I, I see that more and more the, the older I get, um, you know, I, I really kind of have a better sense as to what's important, what makes me happy. Now, I love playing music. I love playing for people. Uh, you know, it's it's the thing that I do that I feel I'm most connected with. It's the It's the thing that's makes me my true self. At the same time, I know how important it is for me to, like today, you know, after we do this interview, I'm probably going to, going to go into Prospect Park and take a walk for an hour and, you know, do a little bird watching and, you know, just enjoy the sunshine. And that time where I don't have, and I don't take my phone with me because I, ref, you know, I just need some time where nobody can reach me. And, it's important. It's important to have that time to think and reflect. And, you know, that's where you come up with your ideas. If you're constantly on the phone, you're constantly um, engaged with some kind of device, you, you have no time to kind of think and be creative and, and come up with, with new ideas if you're, if, if you're distracted by all of these things that, you know, everyone tells you are important now. So um, I think balance is a big key. Um, you know, spending time with friends and family, all of those things, they really are important. And uh, they they become the fuel for my lyrics, you know, and how I might approach a certain musical issue. All of those things feed into who you are as a musician. Um and uh, I, I think just balance is critical. And I, I do, I know so many people who don't have that. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I can have a bit more flexibility with my schedule these days and, and, and can really make that time for myself. I know a lot of people who can't, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I find it interesting too, because when you, when you take that time away, it, it's almost like when you're, you know, whether it's practicing your instrument or trying to come up with the next big idea or, or whatever it might be in business that you're doing, it, it, it seems, like you said, I mean, while that's all going on, it's very hard to have that sort of clear space. And, and it's interesting because, I mean, if you just sort of to talk about the, the musical part of it, 
I mean, you practice something enough times, you can be on stage playing, and all of a sudden that thing comes out, and it wasn't intentional. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's in your subconscious. You've you've driven it in so so deeply mm-hmm. that that it's it's bound to come out. And 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 I think from the the performing perspective, it's kind of funny because people sometimes will practice a lot to be able to play this thing they're practicing and then you know the the different aspects don't come together on stage for them to fit it in but when they stop thinking then it comes out naturally and 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 the same with it seems like it happens with relationships with business with whatever it is is it's 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 when you're trying too hard mm-hmm. that they don't all come together but when you stop trying that's that's when they they seem to to, to all kind of come together and I'm curious, Lisa. The with with your background in mm. in a, a you know a, a master's in music, mm. so the educational side of music, mm. the performing side of music, the 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 touring, um, and then of course the business and and specifically the business that you're a part of. Mm. I mean, what are what are some of the um, what what are some of the, the I don't want to say traits exactly, but I mean I'm sure that you receive a lot of music for what you do. You go through a lot of music. Mm. I mean, what are the, the 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 moving parts that make for successful music being placed in in different outlets like TV, film, advertising, this kind of thing? Yeah, you know I think it it it's um, there are a lot of different aspects to what makes something work in a situation like that. Um, I think, um, I think first of all, the quality of, of, of the music is terribly important in terms of production value. Um, now I come from a background, as you said, and as I said, I, I have a master's in composition. So I have, um, I have a sensitivity to certain aspects of, of composition that, you know, I use when I write and that I'm aware of when I'm listening to music, you know, uh, everything from what is the harmonic rhythm, what, how, what is the pitch class control, how, how are those uh, notes being used properly um, when it comes to the registral placement of the pitches in terms of, you know, the hook of the chorus, um, where are this, where's the highest note, where's the lowest note, how is the harmony moving? You know, all of those things that I learned about years ago and that I use in my own writing, I'm also very aware of when I'm listening to music. And, you know, it's also about when I'm listening to something and I know what the project is and I know what the visuals are. Um, You know, sometimes things will just hit you in the gut. That's the right thing. That's the thing that I'm going to send my client or those are the five tunes I'm going to send or those are the 20 tunes. You know, sometimes I get, I, I get a lot of stuff for a particular project and I have to, I really have to screen through them. Um, because what, you know, if I send a if I send a search out, you know, I might get stuff that from some people that aren't even nearly what I asked for. You know, so um, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that you that you come across that yourself. Mm-hmm. But you know, so you have to screen through, and then as you screen and as you screen, and you know, uh, all of those things, tempo, rhythm. How do they work with the vi- visual? If is there even a visual yet? Is it just a storyboard? If it's just a storyboard, how do I see this, you know, visualizing in my head what the storyboard is going to be? How is it going to work with, um, 
a particular, you know, track that I'm listening to? Do I, you know, so it's, there's so many different aspects. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad music out there. But we're also in a unique position these days where we aren't completely dependent upon, you know, the few major publishers and record labels. You know, years ago, when, when I started in this business, that's really all people wanted to license. They wanted they wanted to license songs that everyone knew. They wanted big names, and and that still goes on, of course. I mean, you turn the TV on, and you know, you you hear a famous song in 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 a car commercial or or whatever. But people these days, for a number of reasons, um, I think you know they are more open minded creatively to the, the the diversity of music that's out there, but also. They don't have the budgets they had, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So um, they are more open to indie music or production music. And, you know, as long as it's done well and it works with the campaign, you know, these days I'll get a client who says to me, I just, just, I want you to find me something really cool that's going to work for my budget and it works with the creative. And that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy that aspect about what I do. I really love finding music for my clients. Um, you know, in addition to being a musician and a composer, I'm just a huge music fan. I've, I, I love listening to music. I've, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, I, I was supposed to be asleep, but I would, I would have my little transistor radio on with my little earphone as I was laying in bed you know, listening to the AM station in New York, which at that time played everything from R&B to rock to pop. And, you know, that's, that was the beginning of my pop music education. And I really, I, you know, I was supposed to be asleep, but I was listening to the radio. (laughs) Um, So uh, there, there still is that kind of excitement about, you know, getting a project in and then you know, what can I find for them? What can I find that works? And when it does, it's, it's really a lot of fun. It sounds like it. And yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you know, yes, I, I definitely, you know, have, have heard a lot of music that gets sent that has nothing to do with what you're asking for. And, and I think what goes through people's head is, well, I know it doesn't fit, but it's really yeah. good. And if they just hear it, then maybe yeah. they'll want to use it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, sometimes it can be really great, but it doesn't fit. And so I, I, let's, let's assume, you know, you're receiving great music and, you know, it's a matter of choosing between things. Um, as an ongoing aspect of, of working with different people, whether they're, you know, publishers and independent publishers, made yeah. publishers, uh, artists themselves, whoever it might be. Um, I'm, I'm curious is, I mean, you're, you're part of your job, in clearance, or, or, or better said, the, the job of clearance is making sure that what, whatever it is that you're submitting is properly cleared, and right. no one's going to sort of make some phone call later up on down the road and say, "Hey, that's my, you know," and right. who uh, no one cleared that. Um, yeah. So, so just so people get an idea as well when it comes to submitting, even if it's the right song, what what exactly are some of the the things that you're looking for that allow for you to use the piece of music. So in other words, what is it that, that you're clearing? Mm-hmm. And the other aspect of it is, it, you know, does, it, does timing make a difference? If you say to somebody, hey, I'm looking for this, and they get back to you in three weeks' time or, or you know, or in an hour, I mean, is, is, is there elements of, of that nature, too, that make for a better working relationship? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, 
I, I certainly w- will provide um, deadlines to my suppliers about you know how how many days do we have until I need to get something back. But I always say you know the s- sooner the better. If you can get something to me, you know, in in a day or two, even though I've given you a week, you know, I you might send something that I hear and I'm like oh, the client needs to hear this now. And so I won't wait the week to give the client the full pitch with, you know, 25 or 30 songs. I might send them something piecemeal because I think a track is so good they need to hear it right away. You know what I mean? So in that respect, that kind of get back to you right away, um, responding, you know, it's good business. Like I I always say, I've been asked this before, I... I treat people the way I would like to be treated. I return my phone calls. I, I email people back as quickly as possible. And when I get that same kind of response, I know people are on the ball, that they want to participate, that they are appreciative of the business, potential business I'm bringing them. And so that, that all makes for a really great working relationship. And, um, you know, you and I have done a few things together, and I've really enjoyed working with you because you, you, you have all those traits, and, and that's wonderful. Um, and, you know, there are a few people that I, I initially I thought... I'm blushing, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are some people initially I thought that there might have been some good suppliers there, but, you know, they dropped the ball on a couple of things. They didn't even get back to me about a certain, you know, search or they didn't even come back and say, you know what, I don't have anything. But no response at all. I, I just don't think it's acceptable. I, I, you know, it takes 10 seconds to email someone and say, I don't have anything for this one, but thank you for thinking of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that kind of courtesy is starting to kind of uh, go by the wayside. And that's unfortunate because I'm still going to work with the people that, uh, you know, uh, are business-like and professional and, and send me what I asked them for. You know, it's, we're all trying to, to um, you know, do this work together. And um, I, I just find it fascinating that the, those little things can mean so much, you know. And, you know, there are people I just won't work with again because, you know, they, they just are non-responsive. So I'll just bring my business someplace else, you know. When there's so much to filter through that it just yeah. seems that, you know, you have to apply more filters because, you know, at the end of the day, filtering simply great music. I mean, it, obviously for what you're doing, that's the bottom line is, is the music. Yeah. Right. But you still have to, I mean, I, I've had people that have, for example, um, you know, say sent music and then, you know, through conversation, and I guess this goes back to the second part of the question, the, the last question, you know, that that then it turns out that the name they've given the first time isn't lining up and then you start going okay well hmm if this person is unaware of the importance of even just the name of the, the title of the track how how yes. much more of it are they going to be unsure about so you know what exactly do they own here or are they controlling i mean what these kind of things start to appear and you know yeah. no matter how good the music is i mean at least for me the red flag goes up it's kind of like well is it really worth my time to try and figure out exactly what this person can control and doesn't and uh right right <laughs> yeah no and yeah and and there there can be a lot of that and especially if you're dealing with i mean i deal with a lot of suppliers indie music suppliers who i've known for years um who you know when i say 
I need you to give me something that's all in, that you can re represent the composition and the mass recording 100%. You know, and, and I say all of that up front. Um, and when it comes to doing licenses, you know, um, m m the licenses that I draft are very strong with regards to, to uh, a warranty and an indemnification. You know, um, they have to sign off that they are representing what they represent. And if they don't, it's, you know, it's on their, it's on their back. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, whether it, if you're dealing with the major publishers and the major labels and then indie reps that do this for a living and they're, you know, they're, they know that their, their reputation is on the line. I, I haven't really had too many problems that way. I've had a few issues with really, really, um, you know, independent, you know, artists if I've had to if, if I've had to deal directly with an independent artist um, who doesn't know too much about how this all works sometimes you kinda have to hold their hand a little bit and you know they'll, they'll say they have something and then all of a sudden you, you find out that there's a co-writer so then you have to clear the other percentage of the composition and you know that kind of thing does happen occasionally but I must say for the for the most part and because I come from this background of you know all types of rights clearance and reading, writing, and um, creating all different types of agreements. You know, um, my experience is is that I really try and have all my T's crossed and I's dotted, so you know I don't have any surprises at the end. Yeah, well, I can I can see how you know you would you would be good at what you do because you've naturally just developed this vast yeah. array of knowledge that all yeah. kind of comes back into play when you do these things yeah. um, I guess as, a, as a, a last question just just to perhaps give some insight on the other angle when you then go to your client and you're you're pitching the songs just just to give people insight as well on, on, on what it is that then you have to do what, what does that pitch look like I mean are you just sort of saying hey here's five tracks check them out I think you'll like them um, are you giving any more sort of in-depth and you know aspect as to look you know I, I think this is going to work because you know the, the structure of the uh, of the song is indicative of, of the the emotion that that this overall ad is going for I mean what exactly does this pitch look like or sound yeah, like I think it's kind of somewhere in in the middle I mean I I don't just you know upload a zip file and say you know ch check these out and let me know what you think you know I really uh, provide um, I provide a written chart I that contains the specification contains uh, the the quotes from each licensor um, that will um, give a sense as to you know where I think the client may want to focus in on listening to the hook because you know they may not hear what they need in the verse so you know go right to the hook and see what this is about um, here's the here's the lyric line that's going to jive with your um, campaign you know so I will do some of that um, and if I feel I need to give a little background about the artist, I will I'll let the client know that, you know, they're about to release an album, that they are hitting here, that they're getting, you know, their number X, whatever number they might be on a particular chart. If I can give something that gives a little more clout to the artist, um, in, in some cases I'll do that. Um, it really depends on the track and, you know, what, what I want the the client to focus in on, you know, I'll provide in some kind of a notes section. Um, 
So I would say, you know, I, I don't go so far as to give like a huge diatribe on each tune, but I, I try to pick out some things that I think they should know about and focus in on uh, for each of the things that I'm sending them. Well, no, that's, that's some great insight. I did say it was the last question, so I'm, I'm going to stick to that. <laughs> and I want to say thank you, Lisa, for, for your time and, and for answering these questions and all the insight you've given. Oh, my pleasure. It was really great talking to you. You have been listening to Aaron Bethune. Until next time, stay above the noise.